We can get full of ourselves, can't we? (laughs) We can get our I deserve this or I deserve that on really quick. So I used to hear back in the day, too big for your britches. That's just natural to us as human beings, this side of the fall of Adam. I think as Americans, we can even take this to another level. As Americans, we are taught to believe that we deserve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But that's not a privilege, those are inherent rights. We could add to that the American dream, our piece of the pie, and a second chance. How many times have we heard someone say, I deserve, or he or she deserves a Second chance. Oh, it goes much further than that, though, doesn't it? We, do, we have a right to affordable health care, cheap gas, good weather, and paved streets without potholes. We have ingrained in our culture that you deserve a nice car, hot food in a timely manner, and free Wi-Fi. <laughs> we say, I need a new cell phone Every year, an uninterrupted satellite every night. Ingrained in our cultural DNA is the right to vote, the right to bear arms, and the right to say that we, what we want and to worship who we want. If you get caught red-handed shooting up a theater full of people, or an army base full of soldiers, you have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. You have the right to a trial by jury. And then you have the right for 20 years on death row while we feed you and give you medical care and clothe you in air conditioning and heat. The basic worldview that you and I live in is this. We deserve to do whatever we want as long as we are not hurting anyone or breaking any laws. And then if we do hurt someone or break a law, we have a right to be treated as a victim. And we have a right to mercy. Beloved, this is not even close to what we find when we open the Bible. It's a dangerous thing to open your Bible. It's a dangerous thing to actually read it. You know, I think many people love the concept of the Bible, but they're not so crazy about the content. Oh, we love the concept that God has given us a love letter... But are we really crazy about the content of what's in it? Do we even know what's in it? Today I want you to think of your Bible as a daily newspaper full of bad news. If it bleeds, it leads. Out of the hundreds of headlines that we could choose from of this bad news, seven jump off the pages. For us this morning. And they're going to tell us a story this morning. Just seven headlines as we scan this newspaper. They're going to tell us a story this morning of what we deserve, what we have a right to, what it is we would all experience if life was fair, what we deserve. Headline number one. A sad couple is expelled from paradise. Here they were, handcrafted by the Creator Himself, 
Adam and Eve. Adam made from dirt. Eve made from a bone in Adam's side. Handcrafted the pinnacle of God's creation. And then he intimately breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And gave them animation and life by his own power and Holy Spirit. They were his unique image bearers. Set apart from all of his six days of creation. Here they were. God's pride and joy. He delighted in them. He made them to worship Him, fellowship with Him, love Him and glorify Him. He made them for, for a relationship with their Creator. And then He gave them one tiny little rule to remember. He placed them in a place of paradise. It was actually a sanctuary. It was the original <laughs> temple, if you will. It was a place of worship of God. He placed them there where they had every need met. A life of complete perfection and innocence. And he said, here's one little rule for you to follow. Of course, they didn't follow the rule. And so the question came then, would the Creator keep His warning of you will surely, what? Die. Will He keep His warning? Or will He decide to become lenient and tolerant and, and uh, you know, oh, that was a little strict on my part. I think I'll change my mind. What would the Creator do once His pride and joy violated His one little rule? Well, He kept His warning. He kept His word. And they did die. They died spiritually instantly. They knew they were naked. That was the indication that they had died spiritually. And they were ashamed. And they began to hide themselves from God. These spiritual beings who had the breath of life breathed into their nostrils were now dead on the inside. Dead to God, afraid of God, and lost in their sin. Oh, they also began to die physically. They were now susceptible to death. Though God would graciously give them a long life, eventually Adam would return to the dust of the ground, just as God said he would. Eve would become a pile of bones as they experience what they deserved. Now, before that happens, though, there's some words that always arrest my attention. They're in Genesis 3.24, and they simply says this, So he, God, drove the man out. This is that passage where they have to be kicked out of the Garden of Eden, where there has to be a guard set so that they can't get back to the tree of life and eat and live forever. And the text kind of abruptly says, And so he drove the man out. Have you ever pondered that? Have you ever considered that? Have you ever meditated on that word? He drove the man out. Do you get a picture of someone that doesn't want to leave? You get a picture of someone that says, Oh, this was paradise. What a fool I have been. No, God, no, don't kick me out. You get a picture of somebody digging in their, their, their fingernails, being drugged and driven out of this place. What a word. The loving Creator. Removing our parents, from His sanctuary. Kicking them out. I don't know what could be like this on a human level. Maybe having to kick your kids out of your house. Maybe having to physically make them leave. I know that's happened. People have had to do that. He drove the man out. And everything in our being and everything in our culture would say all they did was take a bite of fruit. What's the big deal, God? Get out! 
Get away from me! Remove yourself from my presence is what's happening here. They were barred, they were banned, they were expelled from paradise for life. But God, it looks so good. But God, this woman you gave me. But God, the serpent tricked me. Get out. Get out. Paradise is now lost. The sanctuary would be purged. God would not play favorites. Beloved, if you will, this is the first case of church discipline. This is step one. He confronts them. Not the response I was looking for. He did it. She did it. That serpent made me do it. Not what I was looking for, God says. He skipped step two. Who else is he going to bring with him? (laughs) He skipped step three. There is no church to tell. He goes from step one to step four. Excommunication. This is what we deserve. We deserve this because God is holy and we are not. Do we understand that we don't deserve to be here this morning? We don't deserve to sit here. We don't deserve a padded pew, nice chair. We don't deserve to hear the word of God. We don't deserve the Lord's table. We don't deserve to worship Him. What we deserve is to be expelled from His presence. Fast forward several hundred years to headline number two, written while floating somewhere on the planet. Worldwide flood drowns millions. You see, people were just doing what people do. Oh, they were cussing and cursing. They were stealing and fighting. They were killing each other. They were raping each other. There was incest and fornication and adultery. People were angry, were greedy, were materialistic. People were worshiping the sun, animals, creatures. People were doing what people do. It was just a normal day on planet earth until God gave the planet what it deserved. Genesis 6 tell us a little of this story. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. This was a cataclysmic event beyond our imagination to grasp. The Bible tells us that on that day when it began, the fountains of the deep, of the great deep, burst open, exploded open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened, and the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. There would have been unmitigated terror, gasping, flailing, weeping, screaming, and drowning. Multitudes upon multitudes would have been clawing 
and clamoring to get on the ark, but it was too late. All of them would go under, but surely not before cursing God and cursing Noah. Beloved, here is a depth of righteous anger that you and I cannot even fathom. Here is an unswerving commitment to righteousness that we can't even begin to grasp. And here is also what we all deserve. The worst pollution on the planet is not in the air and the waters and the oceans. They're not in the landfills. The pollution of the planet is the human race. We are the ones polluting the planet. We are the ones who are corrupt. And this is what we all deserve. Fast forward 400 years or so to the time of Abraham. Headline number three. Beautiful twin cities are torched and leveled. God pays a visit on Abraham, has a couple of angelic messengers with him. The angel of the Lord and two created angels. He begins to share with Abraham what he intends to do to these two beautiful twin cities. Abraham begins to plead with God. He begins to intercede for those cities. He begins to beg God and pray to God that he would spare them. After all, his nephew lives there. He even tries to negotiate with God. He started with 50 righteous people. God, if there's 50 righteous people... What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? God, what if there's 10? Two metropolises, God. What if there were just 10 righteous people? Would you spare them? God says, for the sake of 10, I would spare them. There weren't 10. And so God sent fire and burning brimstone. Symbolic of God's own burning anger. And He consumed these cities. He torched these cities. He leveled them. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the terror? There was no shelter strong enough, no hole deep enough, no cave close enough. There were no survivors. Probably the closest thing human history has ever seen to this happened to two cities in Japan in 1945. There is nowhere to hide from this onslaught. Here is the unchanging God making war against two helpless and defenseless cities. It's as if God took a volcano, loaded it, aimed it, and fired it at Sodom and Gomorrah. And he left behind a smoldering monument to his feelings toward sexual perversion forever. We believe God is unchanging, do we not? We believe in this church, and it has been believed in all Christian churches for all ages, that God is immutable. That He can't improve and He can't decline. He can't learn, He can't grow, He can't develop. God is infinitely perfect and unchanging. And in God's eyes, though this was thousands of years ago, in His days of reckoning, it was just moments ago. Because God is unchanging. Beloved, in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, God sent a message for all time of how he feels toward all sexual immorality. For all sexual immorality is perversion. We get this confused sometimes. 
If we deviate from God's law, God's standard, God's plan for man and women in any way, any deviation is perversion in the eyes of God. He sends his message then of how he feels about all sexual sin and rebellion against this holy God. The law would later bear this out. We'll get to that in a few moments. But what I want to say to you this morning is what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah is what every sexual sinner deserves. I'll take it a step further. It's what I deserve. (laughs) It's what we all deserve. Who hasn't sinned sexually that's an adult? At least in their mind, at least in the lust of the flesh, at least in their thoughts. Who hasn't had perverted thoughts? Who hasn't had thoughts that didn't line up with the character of Jesus Christ? Who hasn't had thoughts and actions that didn't conform to the law of God? This is God's message to the world of how I feel about sexual perversion and rebellion. Let's fast forward about 600 years. We say, wow, now the people of God have this history. They know about the flood. They know about Sodom and Gomorrah. They know what happened to their parents expelled from the garden. Well, at least God's people, right? At least God's people with the revelation of God will understand that God is holy. Headline number four. Two priests drop dead while worshiping. Now, that's an eye grabber, isn't it? I mean, if you're reading through the paper and you see that, two priests drop dead in church while leading Sunday morning service. Oh, but they weren't just any priest. These were the first two sons of Aaron. Aaron is the high priest. Aaron is the brother of Moses, the human mediator between God and the nation of Israel. Moses, the lawgiver. Moses, the prophet. Moses, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Here's his brother, Aaron. Here's Moses' two nephews, right? Nadab and Abihu. They are priests. And they drop dead while doing their priestly function. Wow, it's not like they snuck off to Vegas for a week. And they're spending time in the tabernacle. They're on the job. They're doing their duty. Well... Sort of. It's a dangerous thing to read the book of Leviticus. (laughs) Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before Yahweh, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of Yahweh and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Leviticus 10, 1 to 3. Now you're Aaron, you're their dad. What are you going to be apt to do and say right now? You're going to, God, that's too far. The nerve. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. But God, we were just using our imagination that you gave us. But God, it was just a way for us to express our creative side. This might have been the first, come on, man. 
Come on, man, we just tweaked the recipe. What's the big deal? Who among us this morning hasn't drawn near to God in a casual manner? Who among us has, hasn't come to church after yelling at the kids and arguing with your spouse? Who among us haven't come to corporate worship, have come to corporate worship without confessing our sins? Who among us hasn't lived on Saturday night contrary to Sunday morning? Here God is seen as He is, a consuming fire of perfect holiness who must be treated as holy. And here He consumes that which is false and hypocritical and half-hearted and out of bounds. Beloved, this is what all false worshipers deserve. This is what all hypocritical worshipers deserve. This is what all half-hearted worshipers deserve. You understand, we don't deserve to live through this service. We don't deserve to be here, now we don't deserve to live through it. Headline number five. New laws promote a liberal use of the death penalty. And what surely smacks of demagoguery and a unilateral decision, we stand live at the base of Mount Sinai with this report. In a stunning turn of events, laws were handed down yesterday that had the excessive use of the death penalty. Without consulting others or putting these items up for vote among the citizens, the king instituted the death penalty in consequences, as consequences in cases such as the following. If you're a layman or a non-Levite and you come near the tabernacle, you shall be put to death. If you are a Levite, but you're not of the lineage of Aaron, but you feel called to full-time ministry and you attempt to be a priest, you are just called to full-time death. You're out of bounds. God's giving His law at Mount Sinai. If you touch the mountain, you'll be put to death. If you strike someone in your day-to-day life on purpose and you kill them, you are to be put to death. If you commit premeditated murder, death penalty. If you hit your mother or father, Death penalty. If you curse your mother or father, death penalty. If you kidnap someone. If you've got an ox that has a pattern of goring people, and your ox gores someone and kills them, you die and your ox dies. If you profane the Sabbath, death penalty. If you offer your child to Molech, If you commit sexual sins of adultery, incest, rape, homosexuality, or bestiality, death penalty. All treated the same. If you decide you're a real spiritual person and you're going to do some creative things and you become a medium or a spiritist and you start doing fortune telling, you start practicing sorcery and witchcraft, death penalty. If the words slip out of your mouth of cursing God... If in a moment of weakness you blaspheme the name of God, death penalty. Beloved, the reality is we've all violated all of God's law. James 2.10 says if we stumble in one point, we are guilty of all. Because it all comes from God. We all deserve the death penalty. 
We have probably done many of the things on this list. And there's many, many more where that came from. That's just a spattering. That any of us are alive right now is mercy. Not deserved. Not a right. Mercy. That we get to keep living as sinners. That we get to come to church and worship God. Headline number six. Israeli special forces perish after mission. They were the hand-picked leaders, one from each tribe, 12 men to represent the entire nation. They would act on behalf of the nation. They would speak on behalf of the nation. They were the cream of the cop. They were the best of God's chosen people. They were assigned a highly critical special op directly from their commander-in-chief. He basically said to them, you 12 spies are to walk about the land that God has already given us. I want you to gather intel on this land and on its people. And hey, while you're at it, would you bring us back some of the fruit? Yes, sir, they said, eager to serve, love to do it. Let's go. And so they go. 12 spies, 40 days in the promised land, observing, gathering intel for the people of God. Then they come back and 10 of them have a deer and the headlights look. Ten of them are shaking in their sandals. Did you see the size of those guys? Bro over here looked like a grasshopper in their sight. It's a suicide mission. It can't be done. Whose idea was this anyway? And so this happened, beloved. And I'm telling you, I've read the Bible numbers of times. I've completely missed this until this past week. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against Moses by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. They were executed. But Joshua and Caleb remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. What was their sin? They didn't trust God and they spread fear. They were relying on themselves. They discouraged God's people from doing what God called them to do. Their big sin was they were afraid and they ran their mouth. Who has not done this? Who has not walked by sight and not by faith? Who has discouraged God's people from doing what God called them to do? Who has not trusted God and spread fear? Beloved, none of this is a big deal. Unless God is holy, then it's a really big deal. Six arresting headlines among hundreds. I mean, we haven't even talked about the guy that was gathering wood on the Sabbath and was pelted with rocks. We haven't even talked about Korah and his rebellion against Moses and God's appointed leadership. Korah who rose up and had followers with him and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed Korah and his wife and his little ones by his side and every one of his possessions and then closed its mouth up. 
And he had 250 followers who fell for his deception. And they were torched by God when they tried to burn incense at the temple, at the tabernacle. Now, we haven't even talked about the 14,700 who died from a plague when wrath went forth from the Lord. And we could talk about the fiery serpents that God sent among His people. We could talk about another 24,000. I'm reading the book of Numbers, and I think the name of it should be changed. Not Numbers, Executions. Executions. But beloved, none of these remotely compare to headline number seven. Hell is a real place. Headline number seven is the permanent place of God's wrath, the permanent place of God's punishment. Hell is discovered and hell is a real place. A place Jesus would speak about often. Jesus would say it's a place of outer darkness, a darkness that envelops you, a darkness that you feel, a darkness where you're cut off from all relationship of all other people. Jesus would speak of hell as a place of the weeping and gnashing of teeth, a real place of real wrath and real punishment that never ends, a place with only an entrance door and never an exit door, a place where this holy God And all of these samples of physical wrath extends that to the soul, to the spirit, and does so forever. Headline number seven is hell is a real place. The unmoving, unchanging, unyielding God. Then before the whole world hears these words. Guilty as charged and sentenced to death. Beloved, we serve and worship and know the all-knowing God, the all-knowing God, the all-seeing God, the all-hearing God, who sits over the universe as the judge and the jury and the executioner of sinners. There's no appeal to His court. There's no second chances once we have faced Him in judgment. Do you know that 155,000 people die Every day. Do you know that that's 57 million people? Every year. If there wasn't a birth rate, the human race would be extinct in about 120 years. 57 million people die every year, but how many should die? All of them. 7 billion. God says of humans that all of them have gone astray, all of them are without excuse, all have sinned and all deserve the wage of death. God says to all mankind, you are made to trust me, obey me, love me, and give thanks to me for everything good in your life. And instead, you trust yourself, you obey your lust, you pursue your sin, and you boast in what you have done. God says to the whole human race, you shall have no other gods before me. Instead, we crank out idols faster than Apple cranks out iPhones. Turn on the TV at 5.30 this afternoon if you doubt me. They've been talking about it for a week. I heard on on the TV this week, 
they started talking about the trophy. Oh, how beautiful is the trophy, said the commentator. Said to the other commentator, have you seen the trophy? And those, oh, it's gorgeous. Seven billion people should lay their collective hand over their mouth and ponder what we have done against this holy God. We should lay a hand on our mouth and sit in silence before the holy God of the universe and consider what it is that we deserve from His hands. And we should conclude, I deserve nothing but hell from this God. We don't conclude this because we don't get that God is holy and we are not. We don't understand what we deserve. And we certainly are not going to hear it outside the walls of biblical Christianity. But these headlines don't tell the whole story, do they? Yeah, Adam and Eve were expelled from paradise, but not before they were clothed. And God sacrificed an animal and clothed them with skins. And not before He made a promise to them. Not before He said the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Yes, there was a worldwide flood drowning millions. But not before they were warned for 120 years by a preacher of righteousness who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Apart from God's grace, Noah should have been drowned too. But he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And he preached a warning of repentance for 120 years to those who would listen. And he built an ark of salvation for himself, his wife, his three sons and their three wives and the animals. There was an ark of salvation in the midst of that judgment. Yes, the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were incinerated, but not before Adam, I mean Abraham, pleaded with God to spare that place. And not before two visiting angels, it appears, got a hold of Lot, his wife, his two daughters, their husbands wouldn't even come, and it appears had to physically drag them out of there. You know his wife, she didn't really want to leave, so she looked back. Nadab and Abihu were struck dead by God, but they knowingly sinned. They willfully sinned. He had given them an exact recipe for the incense. He had been very clear, you are not to tamper with this. You are not to monkey with this. I don't care about your creativity. <laughs> do it the way I tell you to do it. And they had the unspeakable privilege of serving God as priests. That they wasted. Yes, the law was severe in its requirements and penalties. But the law was also a gracious revelation of the character of God. And the law pointed forward to Christ. The law showed us our sin. The law would be our tutor. The law would show us where we fall short. The law would say, see all of these animals? See all this blood? See all this, this sacrificial, innocent blood? This is a picture of your Savior. Yeah, the spies were executed by God. 
But not before they had the example of Joshua and Caleb. An example of trusting God. An example of let's take the land. If God is with us, it'll be no problem. God can do it. They also had the experience of all of God's miracles. They had the the manna. They had the quail. They had the Red Sea crossing. They had the plagues in Egypt. They had seen all of that. They had experienced all of that. And they still doubted God. They had their chance. They were not innocent. And yes, hell is real and hell lasts forever. But the good news is, the rest of the story, the rest of the headline is this. We don't have to go there. (laughs) The good news is, God has made a way of escape from that horrible place. That way of escape is a person. That person is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the way of escape, the ransom for sinners, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven. He is the Messiah. He is who we worship. He is who we celebrate. We are safe because of Christ. Because He did what for us? He took our penalty. He took what we, what? Deserve. He took what we deserve. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Bow with me as we prepare for this great table of communion. Jesus invites those who are sick of their sin and weary of their rebellion to come to Him. You bow your heads in prayer and close your eyes. Just hear me one last time to say this, if you are not a follower of Christ, if you have not trusted Christ with your whole heart and turned from your sin and unbelief to follow Him in obedience, then this table is not for you this morning. This table is for believers only. It is to be fenced. It is a holy moment. It is a holy sacrament or ordinance that Christ has given the church. So if you are outside of Christ, we would plead with you to let it pass and to just observe and to just pray and to just think, what do you deserve and what has Jesus done to make a way for you to be forgiven and to receive the gift of eternal life? For the rest of us, let's prepare our hearts to come to this table in a worthy manner. Father, thank you for the bread and the juice. Thank you for the clarity of your word, your unchanging, timeless word that shows us what we all deserve. Thank you that there is one who stepped in the gap, stepped in the place of our punishment and took it upon himself. May we partake now of these elements in a worthy manner. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.